the volume. The Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sportsbook for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, it's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona 18887897777 or visit ccpg.org/chat for Connecticut 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com/rg for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania and Virginia 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 and 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the best of the sessions. What we have done is we've combined the best of Tuesday's episode and Thursday's episode, mashed them together to give you a beautiful little audio gift for your ear holes. We have some awesome, awesome guests on the show. Cannot thank people enough for taking the time to, to come hang out with me. Give me a little bit of their time. We give you a little bit of that. We all get to hang out and enjoy it, learn a little bit about each other. Um, so it's really cool to mash these all together and you guys can get those little abbreviated highlights of both of the interviews throughout the week. Also, of course, if you want to listen to the full lengths, you can do that. They all exist. Uh, just make sure to check out all things from the Volume Podcast Network. Like, subscribe, turn on those notifications, all that good stuff. But let's get into it. Here's the best of the sessions. This is probably one of the weirdest interviews I've done. It's a weird one to like prep for. I mean, I mean, obviously interviewing John was weird. I actually shot my very, like the pilot episode of this was with John and he was like, that was fucking terrible because I just asked him about things that people kind of already know about. Anyways, Jay and I go way back. I've known you since I was about a teenager. It's been a while. You went to the same school as my sister and me. I, don't, I think you're younger than a teenager, weren't you? Well, no, because I didn't meet Krista until high school. So it would have been like early teen. Well, how old are you in high school? Like 14? So, oh my God, that's like a long time. I just like quickly did the math and it's like, wow, that's a long time that has passed. And then you uh, dated one of my best friends. I did. And then you dumped him. You know what? <laughs> what's funny is as I was getting ready for this I'm like wait are we gonna talk about Matt or not um I mean hopefully he doesn't mind do you think Matt cares no he's he's married now too yeah it's such old news it's a long time ago he's got kids I'm married and have a kid uh yeah I dated Matt for a while your wife is one of my best friends in the whole world we happen to have the exact same hands which uh is a whole other story for perhaps another podcast you guys are weird with that I know I know Um, okay. So what's going on with you? You're about to go back on tour. You are launching a new radio show. You're doing a little bit of everything right now. 
I don't have the same kind of production that you have with my radio show, but actually I got some behind the scenes people, but yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So first thing is first, we are going back on tour. I leave on the 25th. We're doing a co-headline through the United States with Simple Plan, who we've never toured with before. We used to not get along. And this goes way back to like 2000. We had a bad thing happen, like a big rift between us. And then from then on, from for years and years and years, even when we were on MTV and we're doing big interviews, we always used to like shit talk each other. It, it got pretty like vicious at one point. And I remember like in Italy, we almost got into a fight with them backstage and it went on for years and years. But after a while, um, you start to think back and, you know, now that I'm, you know, in my forties, I you know, kind of think back, it's like, why are we fighting? And I don't even remember why we started fighting. I had to, I had to kind of read up about it. I had to research my own band and say, some 41 fights with simple plan. I was like, oh yeah, that's why I run a fight. Um, <laughs> Wait, so why did you guys hate each other? What is the history there? So what had happened was, I guess um, their drummer wrote for a magazine. This is pre like, you know, pre All Killer No Filler, pre our first big album. And I don't even think they had an album out yet. And so he was kind of a writer for this magazine in Quebec. And I guess he gave our first EP, Half Hour Power, he gave it a, a really bad review. So, you know, it was all fueled by a record company. A record company was like, oh, look at this. This guy plays in this band and he gave you this bad review. And we we're like, whoa, fuck that guy. From then on, we started like kind of saying stuff about them. And then they caught wind of that and then they started, you know, and so they started saying stuff about us. And then we just kind of went back and forth for years. But then, you know, like I say, that was in 2000, that was 22 years ago. I think we're over it now. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So have you guys had that initial conversation to just smooth it over and be like, oh, I guess are we best friends now? Maybe let's not push it with best friends, but you guys can be like coexisting on tour together. Yeah. I think, you know, Derek just did a song with them. He, um, so I think he, so he is real buddy, buddy with them. I think he's in. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen those guys. In a while. <laughs> Derek's actually the new lead singer for Simple Plan. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Um, no, but I haven't actually seen them in a long time, but I think the last time I saw them, it was, it was kind of on the verge of being okay again, as you get older and, and you start seeing each other and you're not really mad at them anymore. And they're not really mad at you. It just becomes awkward. So like every time we would see each other, it would just kind of be like, Hey, Hey, you kind of just be awkward about it. It's like, why aren't we friends with these guys? And you don't know. You, it's like, we didn't know why. And so now I think, you know, this is the first time I'm going to see them is on tour and we're going to do a long tour. We're doing two legs through the States. Um, hopefully we get along. I, I'm sure we will because <laughs> it's a lot sure not to, but yeah, I think it's going to be fine. And, you know, I think, you know, they're nice guys and, you know, I think it's going to be a great tour and you're coming, right? You're coming to Cincinnati show. I, I am. Yeah. I'm going to be there. I'm going to come to the Cincinnati show. Um, I think we were talking that I have to come to your guys sound check so that I can bring Nora so she can check things out. We'll put the baby to bed. And then, uh, then it's game on. So I will definitely be keeping my finger on the pulse, my eyes open to see if there is any real rift here between Sum 41 and Simple Plan. Um, but I'm excited. I'm really excited to come like see you guys. I've been able to see you guys. I mean, shit, a ton. But just in general, when you guys would come through Vegas, I would come out and see your guys show. Um, it's, it's always a really good time. You guys put on a hell of a show. Um, how do you prepare to go on tour, especially like this time around? It's been a big chunk of not being on the road. How are you feeling about it? Yeah, I'm a little stressed about that because normally, you know, we don't have a lot of time between tours. So it's like a week or two. So I'm just kind of in tour shape all the time. But you know, we haven't played since the end of February 2020. You know, other bands have been doing shows, you know, Green Day did that big stadium tour last year. It's like bands have been doing stuff. We just haven't. 
you know, we've been recording, you know, we have a, a double album that's coming out later on, but we haven't played any shows. So really I'm kind of getting into, we're, and this, this tour is going to be an anniversary tour for our first full length album, All Killer No Filler. So we're playing all those songs, which I'm kind of happy about because they're back then we weren't very good. <laughs> now you can do them more justice. Yeah. Like I, I started relearning some of the songs we haven't played for a while. And I was like, oh yeah, right. Four chords. Okay. This is going to be easy. I think the hard part's going to be is just the stamina because when you get on stage, it's, you know, it's, you know, like uh, wrestling, you have to you get, you have to get ready for going into the ring. It's like, we're going into the ring, you know, you know, and I, so I started running. I'm not a big runner. So I've started running. I've started, you know. Wait, what is your like workout schedule? So for people that don't know, Jay's wife is a personal trainer um, and she is always in impeccable shape. I know she's usually up your ass to try to get you working out. So what does she put you through? Does she get you ready? She she tries to, but she you know she's, uh, <laughs> she I mean she's a real trainer. I don't I don't want that. I I can't deal with that. I just need to go on my own terms. I need to have my own program that I I do. You know she's like she has boot camps in the park. That's not for me. I can't. Do that. So I just <laughs> you should join them. I hear they're popular. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I, then you got to chat with other people and. Fair. Yeah, I have no interest in that. I'll talk while you're working out. Like, do you do you go to gyms? Sometimes I do, but I've been recently like re- so we had a gym in our house when we were in Vegas, and I had a gym that I went to there. But now in Cincinnati, we have this like weird garage storage area. So I'm turning that into a gym. There's really just a treadmill and like a couple resistance bands in there. But I do, I like to just, I want to put on my headphones. I don't want to talk to anybody, especially when like your heart rate's up and you're like, I can't have a conversation right now. It's horrible. Yeah. Like, so we have a little gym in our basement, but like, I don't want to be beside anyone and have to talk to them while I'm doing any of that sweating and huffing for like, I I'm kind of, I'm a little out of shape right now. Like that's why I'm, I'm running. I'm constantly trying to work out because I'm like, oh my God, we got like two weeks though. I got to go on stage. So I don't want to be like gasping for air and trying to talk to Joe next to me. You know, it's like, I don't, it's not for me. So I'm just kind of doing it on my own time. What is your gym attire? I don't think I've ever seen you in gym clothes. <laughs> what do you wear to the gym? <laughs> Jean jacket, you know. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, uh, I got some runners. Okay. Runners, I got some shorts and a t-shirt. Well, I mean, your nickname has pretty much always been Skinny J, which not that that helps with cardio all the time. It's definitely, you know, a step in the right direction, but trying to keep cardio up. It's like, you know, I always hear wrestlers say that too. It's like, no matter what kind of training you do, nothing prepares you for when you actually get in the ring. And I imagine it's the same for you guys. Yeah, it's almost like for us, you kind of have to, because, you know, with singing and and playing, you kind of almost have to go on your run and sing while you're running. We have actually a guy on our street that's like an ex-opera singer or something like that. And he just does opera. He's on a skateboard and doing opera. And I I was like, that's actually a good idea. It's it's a great idea because, you know, everyone's like, oh, there's the opera guy coming down the street. But I'm like, that's actually brilliant because he's actually training real for the stage because when you get on like you said when you get on stage and you're moving your adrenaline's going when you start to go to sing you haven't trained for it (laughs) like you you can only train for it by running and singing at the same time i remember hearing that beyonce's dad used to make her do that i remember reading this in like an article years and years ago i'm like oh my god that makes such perfect sense so i always think not that i'm singing when i'm on the treadmill but i'll mouth the words that's as far as I get with it. But I know, smart man. I mean, if Beyonce does it, you should be doing and, it. And I don't, but uh, I should be. 
You and the opera guy jump on his, whatever, whoever's training him. Get on with that. What a longboard. I could slip on the back. Okay, this double album. Talk to me about this. And what is your process like of even putting together an album like this and then for you guys to prepare to take this out and tour it? Yeah, uh, it's it's still in the pro- in progress. But uh, what had happened was, you know, our band through our evolution, well, you know, our first the first album, Half Hour Power, was like, I guess what's called pop punk is what the media pigeonholed us. And so, you know, through the years, we were, were big fans of heavy metal as well and metal and harder music. And we just got kind of got better and we wanted to go in that way. And so our next couple albums were a little heavier. And then, you know, we went back to pop punk again. And then we, we've had all these kind of genres of music. So I think, you know, Derek was writing a lot of songs over this pandemic with, you know, no thing of like, I want to make this kind of album, just writing songs. It was kind of like, you know, he sent me all these songs to start to play bass on. I was like, wow, they're drastically different. Like, you know, you're going from like a song like ours, like In Too Deep to like thrash metal. Like it's like really different. So all of a sudden there was a lot of songs, you know, 16, 18, 20 songs. So we started talking about, you know, what are we going to do with all? You can't kind of put the pop punk ones, the popular ones next to these kind of metal songs. It just wouldn't work on a record. So the idea came up to have a double album, having the popular pop punk ones on one album. So it'd be Heaven and Hell, be the pop punk, and then the heavier stuff is hell. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's it's nothing we've ever done before. It's really exciting. And, uh, and especially in this day and age of Spotify and streaming and YouTube is like not a lot of people are venturing into this double album territory. So we're going to see what happens. Just for me getting ready to like do this interview, like I will say... Growing up and seeing you guys get the success you did right off the bat, like I remember that being like such a huge deal for everybody in Ajax, Ontario, Canada. It was like, wait, what's happening? These guys are doing what? I remember you guys like, didn't you when you first signed like have like some water guns and you were like driving around and like water balloons and just like pranking people and stuff. But I I feel like for me seeing you guys have all that success definitely gave me more like courage to go, shit, I want to go do something as well. These guys from Ajax went into this thing, like maybe I can go do something too. Um, But how much do you look back on like being like that kid from Ajax? I mean, you still live in Toronto. Uh, Your family's in Ajax. You get to spend a lot of time there. You're you're the only band member that is still in Canada, right? Dave is as well. Yeah. Dave's in in Whitby. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a, I mean, we still live that with our parents, right? So it was, it's strange. Because, yeah, like little babies. Yeah, we were, when we got signed, we were 19 years old, and I do remember. But well, what was happening was we had sent out songs to all these record companies, and they weren't paying attention. Like certain songs, like four songs to send to record companies, no one was paying attention to us. So we were trying to figure out, like, how are we going to, um, you know, stand out, and how are we going to get people to pay attention to us? So we made these little video, this little video, which you're talking about, where we went around Ajax and egg houses and all this stuff, and we filmed it all and edited it into this little video with, with our songs behind it, then sent out the same songs to the record companies, and now everyone loved us. They're like, oh, I like this band now, but they're the same songs that they had heard and said, we don't like this band. So then we had, yeah, then it was kind of a, a whirlwind because then we had every single record company in the U.S. coming up to Toronto to see us play. It was weird because we were just barely legal to drink, too. We were only 19. It seems so long ago now. It seems like it's so far gone, but I do remember it being just like, there it is. Like, you know, this is, this is the dream that every band dreams of and you guys are getting it. And the other thing was, it was so much pressure at the time too, because now we have, now we're getting signed to Island Def Jam 
And now we got to go make a record and now it's got to be good. Now we got to have hits. And, you know, they weren't just saying like, Oh, we love you. Just come, come with us. They're like, we want hits. And so there's a lot of pressure and, you know, only being at, when we recorded the first album, we weren't, we weren't legal to drink in the U S so we'd go to the U S and go on tour and have to like try and get the other bands to buy us beer. It was a fun time though. You know, it's it, like I said, it's kind of like that, what every band dreams of, we kind of got. It's so cool though, looking at the longevity that you guys have had. I mean, to be putting out these eight albums, to be going back on the road, um, you guys have had such an amazing career. Um, and it's so cool to think of like, yeah, these kids that, it's funny, I'm sure anyone listening to this is like, yeah, he's from, from 41, we get it. But like, for me, I just I, it's really cool to like see what you guys have, have been able to do with your whole careers and just keep things going and to keep things changing. And now looking at this new album to see you guys kind of go back to your roots with some of that pop punk vibe. I, I'm like you, like I'm shocked that it happened for us and all this other stuff. Like it was a big deal, I think. Um, and, and for you too, like when you came out of Ajax too and you went to the WWE and the score in Toronto, like that's a big thing for someone coming out of Ajax because there's nothing that came out of Ajax. It's funny, like looking at your guys, like looking even on like the Sum 41 uh, Wikipedia, it's like from Ajax, Ontario. I don't know if mine says Ajax or it says Toronto. Um, but if I tell, I know that's what I want to look up because you guys are very Ajax centric that if I say Ajax, it's that Sum 41 land. That's like all you guys, no matter who I told you, like, isn't Sum 41 from there? When we were growing up, you never heard of anyone coming out of it. No hockey players, no baseball players, nothing came out of Ajax. So I think that's kind of the shock was like, well, the band's yeah. from Ajax, nothing ever happens in Ajax. And nothing did happen in Ajax. There wasn't even a goddamn movie theater when I was growing up. And I think that's what drove people like, like us to do music and probably you to do your thing and like, broadcasting and stuff because there was nothing to do. So you have to pick something is like, you know, you go smoke weed with your friends and play music in the basement. Go hang outside the 7-Eleven and see what was happening around town. And then, yeah, go back to your house and try to be creative in some aspect. Um, let's talk your fashion because I feel like your fashion is underrated. You always have a good fashion game. How do you put your outfits together? Oh my God, Renee. Um, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I do? I literally, what I do is I think, what's Shannon going to like me in today? If I'm going out for dinner, I'm always like, is this good? And she's always like, put on the big black hat. So I'm kind of always, you know, talking to her about stuff. And she actually just bought me this new jean jacket. So a lot of, you know, I, I do credit maybe her for a little bit of it. Um, she definitely does not hold back if I look bad in something. Well, you guys have been together for a very long time. Yeah. I mean, 22 years together, that'll do that. But, you know, the other thing is I, I love bands like The Clash. Um, I look back on that era, like that late 70s punk stuff. The stuff that I, I wasn't really dressing like that in my 20s and stuff. But along the way, I just started really appreciating that look more. And so that's kind of, you know, those are bands that I really, I love, you know, the clash is one of my favorite bands of all time. And so like, even on this new tour, I'm doing a spray, like a spray paint shirt for the tour. And that's kind of, that's very clash. Like they used to spray paint their shirts all the time. You got to evolve it a little bit. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, you guys have played with some iconic bands. Uh, musicians who were the ones that stand out to you the most that you were like going in whether it was like you're doing a show together you're recording together that you were kind of crapping your pants for at the time when we were doing it I was really into it but it, I think years later it really hit me that it was really really a once in a lifetime thing was we recorded a song with Iggy Pop in 2003 
And at the time I was like, oh yeah, Iggy Pop, I, you know, I was 23 years old. I was like, oh, I, I know Iggy Pop, I know Lust for Life. And I know he was in a band called The Stooges, but I didn't at the time I even really know a lot of the Stooges stuff. But it was years later, you know, after that song came out and we were playing as his backing band at some award shows and stuff like that. We ended up playing with him quite a bit as his band because he didn't, he doesn't really have a band. He just kind of gets a band whenever he needs one. But it was years later, I started realizing like, this is the goddamn godfather of punk. Like, man, I, I did a song with Iggy Pop and you start to sink in. And so that to me was probably one of my highlights. Um, another one would be we went on tour with Motley Crue for a month. And uh, I'm sure everyone's probably seen the dirt by now. This was in 2005. And, you know, we're all metal guys. We all we know their whole catalog. But like, you know, I guess, you know, some of them were, I guess, Nikki Six was sober at the time. Tommy was not. And Vince Neil was not. And those guys, it kind of was like the grown-up version of the dirt. They were still partying. Like, it was it was shocking. I, like, every night we would go to Tommy. It was called Tommy Land. And we would go to Tommy's room, and he'd have this big stereo system, and he'd be blasting music at 11. You know, it was like as loud as it could go, and everyone's dancing around, and we're kind of in there with our drinks and can't really talk because it's so loud. But it's like it reminds I'm like, this is what it was like in the 80s, just as more of an adult version. Talk to me about Iggy Pop's body in real life because holy shit. It is pretty insane. And when we did that song with him, he was in his 60s. But now he's, you know, I think he's got to be in his mid to late 70s now. But what uh, we asked him about that um, during that recording and, and we shot a video with him. We were like, what is going on with you, Iggy? You know, we're 23 looking at ourselves like, Jesus Christ, man. And so he does Tai Chi. That's what he told us at the time. He doesn't even lift weights. He just, it's basically like, you know, I don't, I don't really know much about it, but it sounds like glorified stretching. Like he, he just, he just looks in, insanely good. So we grew up in the same town, had a bunch of mutual friends. I was friends with your sister. Your wife is now, you know, one of my nearest and dearest. We've been friends for a very long time. Were you as into sync as my sister was? No, that was all Krista. She wanted to go to the Pickering Town Center. She was all about going to see NSYNC. Not that I'm, I, I mean, I loved NSYNC. Maybe loved is a stretch. I was never like a huge boy band person. Like I didn't lean into it that much, but I think like, yeah, I don't know. I was never huge Backstreet Boys or NSYNC. I feel like I'm, I don't know why I missed that. Yeah. Maybe you had met my sister when she was already over that phase. Or- oh no. I knew Krista in that stage. Oh yes. Hey, did you know that me and Krista at one point tried to create our own band to ride the coattails of no, I, I don't know it. <laughs> oh my God. I completely forgot that that happened until this exact moment. Oh my God. It was me, her, Holly, and Dina that we were all like, guys, we obviously the next step for us here is if Jay has a success with this great band, maybe we should start a band as well. Um, Unfortunately, the record labels weren't coming to <laughs> what us. What were you going to do? We, we were all singing. I think we were just a quartet of singers. <laughs> oh, my God. Well. Oh, my God. These are the dumb <laughs> things that kids do. I would love to hear those original songs. You know what? So would I. Actually, I wouldn't. I would I would just probably wrap it up from here. If, if, that, if those ever got leaked somewhere, I actually don't think that they, that they live anywhere, but um, very funny. My sister has everything. She keeps everything. Damn it, Krista. Order of everything. Okay, I'm going to make sure that I, I'm going to drop her a line after this and go listen, delete it all, throw it all in the garbage. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, we go way back. I've, you know, I've been to your cottage. I've hung out with your mom a bunch, your dad. I mean, it's all, 
You've seen my dad a ton. I'm sure you had your first beer at my house with my mom. Quite possibly. Because my mom's a huge wino and she's just given. I remember having my first drink at like seven. (laughs) It was like like Christmas morning. She's like, mimosa? I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) that's what we do. We're McCaslin's. I'm like, we're Irish. It's not a tradition. My mom was not like a wino and she's still not. My mom definitely likes to smoke the marijuana, but that's new. That's new. But my mom was always like cool with us having drinks because I definitely had a drink really early too. I remember being like up at like my cottage and having like a Kahlua with milk or having like the neck of like a Mike's Hard or like a, you know, a Caesar or something. Is that just a Canadian thing or? That would be Bloody Mary in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I had to keep it straight for us though, that it was a Caesar, which is the superior drink. It's different. Clamato juice, not tomato juice. Yeah. Whole thing. People freak out when you say Clamato though, because you say, well, it's tomato juice with like clam juice. And people are like, what? But it's heaven. It's thinner than tomato juice. And it's, it, it doesn't even like, there's nothing fishy about it. Let me make that abundantly clear. It's like just a little saltier, maybe, maybe like a little brinier, but it's great. I, I do think, I think you're right. I think it's better. It's, the, the Americans just gotta, you, you gotta try it. You gotta try everything, you know? And you know what? You actually can buy Clamato juice in most grocery stores here now, which I was like thrilled about that. I was like, I could still keep the dream of the Caesar alive. Thank God. Yeah. I wonder if it's like a, just a Northern US thing though. Is it, is it down in the- No, because in Vegas we had it. And I thought in Vegas that I was like, oh, is it because we're more South that that's the reason why you can get it? But I can get it at the grocery stores here too in Cincinnati. So I think it's making its way. However, all dress chips are not everywhere, which is upsetting because they have them in Vegas, but I've not found them here yet. The thing about the all dress chip though, have you ever looked, you've looked at the ingredients, right? Well, if you look like the front of an all dress chips bag is what it's like vinegar, a tomato. I don't, I can't remember what the, I think there's like another thing that's on like the front of it. Yeah. It's, it's a long paragraph of ingredients, stuff that should not be in chips, but it is tasty. I'm kind of like that. I like just potato oil and salt. I'll have them all. I've never met a potato that I did not like. Um, Okay, so back to you. You also have been producing a ton of other bands and like in a bunch of different genres as well. How did you kind of just take all that on and how do you find the bands that you're working with? What gets you excited? Yeah, the the first big thing I ever did um, was kind of by chance. It was this band called the Strumbellas. And they actually, they did, went on to have like a number one song in the U.S., but I didn't do that song. I just, I said, let's do three songs. I've never really done this before, but I've, you know, I've made a bunch of records by this point. This was probably 2007. So I said, you know, just give me three songs. Let me try it. And then it worked out great. So I ended up doing their whole album. But I think most of the stuff I never, for producing, I never really go out and look for stuff. It's stuff just falls in my lap. Like someone will hand me a, a CD at a bar or a friend will call me and say, Hey, I, I know this band and, and they're big Sum 41 fans. They would love it if you could do a song. So that's kind of how it happens. And I like doing it, but what I'm starting to realize is producing with Sum 41 gearing up now for tour, producing takes a long time. It takes a long time to record an album. So I'm starting to maybe just do like little, like three songs at a time or something and not commit to full albums. Uh, but the radio show thing that I'm, I'm doing, that one I actually went out and like tried to make happen. That was kind of a, kind of a dream of mine for a long time. Even back to the mid 2000s, um, there was a guy on the air 
um, who you probably remember, Bookie, he passed away a couple of years ago, but in the mid 2000s, he was like, Cone, you, you should really have your own radio show and, or come on mine and do a segment every week. And I was so busy and I was 25. I was like, oh, I was kind of scared about that kind of stuff. I was like, I don't know if I want my own show. But over the pandemic, I was kind of like, I, I think I want to revisit this radio show idea. So I started, you know, trying to find radio stations to, to take my show and this um, radio station in Oshawa or right by where we're from. Uh, but they, you know, they broadcast all over the uh, all over Toronto called 94.9 The Rock. They picked up my show. It's called Cone's Cave every Sunday at 7 p.m. And I play I basically play punk music and garage rock and heavy metal stuff that like if you turn on the radio right now, you're never going to hear that stuff. Yeah, unless it's like on Sirius or something, right? That's like tailored to that. That's it. And that was kind of my pitch. I was like, people are going to Sirius to go to Faction Punk or um, Marky Ramone Station to hear this stuff. But give me one hour and I'll play this stuff. And, you know, you're going to maybe get a whole new listening audience through this. And, you know, I have guests on every week. You're going to be one of my guests. And uh, I think, you know, it debuts this Sunday. Um, I don't know when this airs, but... And then, you know, I run into people on tour all the time. Like we play festivals with crazy bands like Slipknot. And, and then the next day we're playing with the Foo Fighters and the next day we're playing with Weezer. So I run into all these amazing bands on tour. And I was like, this would be great to just grab one of them for a second, just do a quick little interview. So that's kind of the idea. So who do you have lined up for guests? Well, right now, so the first week is Ian DeSaw from Billy Talent, um, who I just saw play like the Normo Dome in Toronto. Really good. You know, they played the where the Maple Leafs play. So then I have DMC from Run DMC tomorrow. I just talked to Chaos today. Jim from Pennywise, Dickie from the Boss Tones, Noodles from the Offspring. So it's like that, those kind of bands. And then me. But, you know, <laughs> it's, it's perfect. It's perfect because like, you're in the entertainment thing and, and, and everyone's interested. Everyone's interested to know like, I'm big on like where the influence came from, like what made you want to do what you do. And so that's kind of what I talk to my guests about and play like, you know, old tracks, like not singles, like really good album tracks that, you know, on the radio. Stuff like that. No, I, I think you're going to be a great guest on my show. I'm actually really excited for that because to me, there's something like, I don't know, like the romanticized idea of radio in my head, but there's something about it that I just think is like very charming and very cool to be a part of. Like when I do my Sirius XM show, it's like talk radio. But yeah, I think doing what you're doing is awesome. In like an hour, no harm, no foul. It's not too long of a time. You can fill that time easily. And yeah, it, like fun for you to get to explore music through like kind of a different lens. The biggest thing for me was I think I'm, I, I, I do listen when I'm in the car. I do listen to the radio, but I do have Sirius XM. And the biggest thing for me when I'm turning on these stations is and and we're on, we're on these stations too, so I'm kind of you know we're some forty one's a part of the commercial radio scene, but it seems like they're just playing the same songs over and over. You know, it's like this is an avenue for a band like uh, I don't know No Effects or Rancid or Sex Pistols or you know stuff that everyone loves, but you can't turn on commercial radio and hear it, which is pretty crazy. I mean, those are all really big bands that you think that you'd hear a little bit more of that, but you're right. I mean, even what are like the, like, you know, I mean, I know rock and like punk are still pretty separate, but you turn on, you know, the edge or whatever, like any local station is like, even when I'm home, I'm like, Oh my God, you guys are still playing the same songs. I don't want to bag on commercial radio at all, but like, like for some 41, they still play fat lip and in too deep. Like that song's 22 years old and sure play it, play as much as you want. But I'm always kind of like, you know, it'd be, 
amazing to get the new song to get played, you know? 100%. Part of my show is going to be doing that too. Like I'll, you know, play the new, I don't know, Face to Face song or whatever, whatever bands that I've liked, punk bands that come out with songs that probably aren't going to get played on commercial radio. I'll play it. You get to be like the new Kim Mitchell. Is Kim Mitchell still on radio there? (laughs) (laughs) Kim, Kim actually, I've never met Kim, but I'm a big fan of Kim. Hell yeah. Patio lanterns, baby. The Americans wouldn't know Kim either. That's that's (laughs) No, you guys don't know Kim Mitchell. And I mean, listen, if it's like summertime's just around the corner, you're out at a cottage or a cabin, that's definitely like around the bonfire. Play a little Kim Mitchell Get hip to it. Yes. Know it. Go for soda. Into it. Go for soda. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> hey, guys, if you're here listening to the sessions, thank you. Hello. Hi. And you love some combat sports. Well, be sure to check out Boxing with Chris Mannix. It's every Friday as he talks with the biggest names in boxing, UFC, and yes, even the occasional wrestling superstar. Chris is one of the most passionate and influential voices in the sport. And easier every week to help you get smarter on all things boxing. He'll also help you win some money on FanDuel with his weekly betting segment where he breaks down the best bets for all the big fights. Download Boxing with Chris Mannix only here on the Volume Podcast Network. Oh my gosh, here we go. We've got, we've got Big Swole back on the show here, guys. And for it to be back on the show to you guys is uh, new to your ears uh, because we tried to record an episode back in October. I think it was October. Um, and let's just say shit hit the fan. Um, I had Nora with me who was like screaming into the microphone and we were both just being like patient, trying to make it happen, like just plowing forward. We're going to do this. And then like, It was just trashed. There was no way. There was no way. So I'm so happy to have you back on. Um, A lot has happened since you were on. How are you? What's going on? I'm good. I am finally at peace. You know, like I just have that overwhelming feeling of just I'm exhaling. As they used to say back in the 90s, I'm I'm exhaling and finally being just me. And it's it's been a wonderful experience. Like, I love it. What has that experience been like for you? I mean, I know I had a similar feeling of like, I feel like there was different moments of that exhale of like, okay, this decision has been made to move forward in this direction. But then it's like, there can always be like a little bit of uncertainty with what the next thing's going to be that, I mean, for me can make me become very tense again immediately um, to, to, yeah, then just finding those other moments to exhale. So what has that process been like for you? It was rough. Like, I'm not going to, of course, sugarcoat it. Like, oh, it was great. It was amazing. Like the final product is amazing, but going through the fire hurt like hell. <laughs> like it was a lot of, okay, inward shadow work. Like what, what are you, what am I blaming you for? You know, like, okay. And what I need to stop blaming myself for. And just giving up that control, because I used to be a type of person where I love to have just control, you know, like, I'm like, okay, this is the way it should be. Uh, I get a little bit of my mom's A-type personality sprinkled on onto me, (laughs) but uh, it was heartbreaking. It was sad. It was uplifting. Uh, It was difficult finding that, okay, what do you want to do next? You know, like, what do you want to do? And diving into that and then realizing 
I'm not myself. I don't feel like myself anymore. What I lost myself along the way. Somewhere. What a mind fuck that <laughs> yeah. is, huh? Man, like what an unexpected thing to happen. And everyone goes through that at some point or another where you have to like really check yourself, look yourself in the mirror and be like, what do I want? Who am I? How do I get back to being that chick? That was all of these things that made me great that now I feel like I don't have control of right now. I feel that way a lot anyways. Yes, it was, it was a lot of stress. And uh, stress is just no bueno for my body. Like it, it immediately goes completely downhill uh, if there's any kind of big stress around. And so I just had to find other ways to like cope and other ways to put like my energy into like getting my routines down, like my morning routine. Okay, this is what I like to do. This is what I enjoy having like family Fridays and girl Mondays with my daughter and stuff like that. Just, you know, me days, having a plan. Like I said, that, that little control part, like it was easy <laughs> to yeah. follow a plan. <laughs> oh my God. I know it's really hard. Like that's the one thing. And like, you know, I've been gone from WWE coming up on almost two years. It'll be two years in August. So a little bit of time away, but that's the thing I still struggle with is like my schedule. What have I booked here? What is happening here? Like I am fucking rotten at that. Oh my God. Are you, are you good at that? I'm good if it's written down or like if it's in a note or something like that. Like if it's just like, I'm trusting all that to be up here. <laughs> now when I have all this to take care of, like I know. I'm like out of sight, out of mind. But that's why I have like bulletin boards, I have dry erase boards around the house. I have to make sure I remember or else I'm like, what do I have to do today? Like today, I thought today was Thursday. I was prepared to go to training and everything. And then I was like, no, today's Wednesday. Oh, damn. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. I know. It's so hard to like stay on top of shit. And the weeks go by so fast. I don't know if that's just like mom life does that or like, holy shit, time just flies. Okay. So during this time that you've had for yourself, what are some things that you've like discovered about yourself or like really realized are like the things that you want that are propelling you forward? My biggest one was uh, just things that I want. I want, I want them so badly, but they're not in my path. They're not, you know, mine by divine right. Like it was hard letting go of things that wasn't for me, that wasn't serving me, but I still wanted them around because like, you know, if, if it was just people or the things that I was doing, my love for wrestling kind of changed in between this whole entire thing. And I was like, you know what? I don't feel it like I used to. Where is it? Do I want it back? That was such a hard question for me. Like, do you want that back? Think about the stress and everything. I've been more sick time, you know, when I was wrestling ever. It was, it was hard. Like a lot of, a lot of crying It's my biggest lesson was being okay with not being okay and being okay with giving up something, you know, cause I'm just so used to, okay, this has to be perfect. This type of way, uh, you, you know, I'm used to getting not necessarily what I want, but I expect things in my life. And when things don't go out the way I planned, it was just hard to like let go. Being in the driver's seat and being in control, but then like the shit that you just simply can't control, it's infuriating when you're like, wait, I want this in my path. How do I keep these things going? And then you're like, wait, maybe, maybe I'm fighting this too hard or whatever. I heard this quote and it completely changed my whole perspective. It was like, you may be good, but God may want better. And I was like, you know what, what I'm holding on to is good for me. It's great. But if I saw what was next, 
I wouldn't be holding on so hard with my whole entire life. You know, that's what's causing issues in, you know, in my life and probably in other people's lives. You're just holding on to things because it's comfortable. What do you want to be next? What are the things that you are writing on these dry erase boards and the things that you are manifesting? Like as you've gone through this shift and either reestablishing your love with pro wrestling or finding other things to fill that, what, what does that all look like for you? And all honestly, the goal is still the same because I always just wanted to use whatever I'm doing to touch somebody, to reach somebody, to tell my story and everything like that. So now it's more so like I'm working on my book. Like I, I finally have like my editor and everything. And like my, my brother, he owns like he's a part of a publishing company. So I'm putting everything into words about everything I've went through because I feel like it can help somebody along the way. Then I've done my job. Also, just using my voice, like I'm going out and doing motivational speaking and stuff and just using whatever I have to reach people. That's all I want to do with my life is just to help other people smile. How does someone become a motivational speaker? Like, who do you reach out to to be like, hey, this is a thing that I'm going to be good at or a thing that I'm interested in? Is somebody coming to you and offering this up? Like, how does that work? Well, sometimes people come to me like, oh, we want to set you up with going to this university or something like that. Or I have past teachers and also friends who became teachers. I come in for the great American teaching, you know, just a little <laughs> razzle dazzle in between the lawyers and the doctors of the world. <laughs> like, oh, my friends <laughs> Let's get some wrestling. Right. Yeah. Wrestling <laughs> here. <laughs> they tell it to me like a TI is, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like just like word of mouth, a lot of networking. Uh, like I do podcasts, like to my call in show and everything. And I have people that listen to that. And then they're like, Hey, you would be great. I had to come into my school and talking to these kids because somebody's got to talk to these children. <laughs> you know, like I had so many great influences in my life and I just wish that for everybody. So you can have that confidence. So you can have that like wherewithal. Who were some of the influences that you had? I mean, obviously you are a very strong, bold woman. How did you become this woman? My mama. Ooh, my mama. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Miss Mary Ann. She taught me everything. Everything I need to know. And my dad taught me some things. My biological dad is as well. My parents in general. They taught me a lot. My I guess people call him bonus dad, stepdads. I just call him dad. But he's also a pastor like other people in my family are. So it was easy to just latch on to the knowledge they were willing to give and the tutelage that they were willing like to bestow upon me and sit me down and like, hey, this is how this works. Or, hey, this is what worked for me. My mom used to say like, hey, you better listen to me because I love you. This world don't love you. She's like, <laughs> <laughs> Good point, mom. Right. It's like you can use like that world. They gonna, that world's going to teach you some things. And I'd rather you learn the lessons now, you know, while you have a covering, while you have a protection. And when you get out there and you're necessarily on your own. So it was just easy to soak it up because I saw what my mom went through. I saw what my parents went through and I know I didn't want that for me. And my mom always told me that she wanted better for me. What kind of things did they go through? What kind of things like did you see that you knew that that you wanted to change uh, in, in your life, your like adult life? My mom was a complete hustler. Like she would work and work to make ends meet for us and for me to have like the shoes that I wanted and stuff like that. And she worked long hours, sometimes double job, like working at the bus driving and then at night going to be like a clerk. So like she was missing like all my games and everything, but there was food on the table. She never had anybody to tell her, you can do it. Like my grandmother wasn't necessarily the most supportive because she had all these other things going on in her life. And my mom didn't get that boost. 
And so like, and neither did my dad. So this kind of settled into different jobs. We ended up working for them. But uh, my mom told me I could be anything and do anything and not to settle. Just, you know, you can make things work for yourself without, you know, settling. Let's talk mom life here for a second, because I have been having one of those damn days. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It's like it's, you know, I feel like today was one of those days where, like, I piled too much shit on my plate. I had, like, meeting, interview, meeting, interview, this phone call, this thing. And all the while, it's like John's on the road today, so I've got, like, the baby on my hip. Uh... At one point, I I thought she had like spilled water on her diaper. She was like, her big thing is drinking water out of a a water bottle right now. And then I was like, oh my God, she like pooped and I didn't realize. So like, I feel horrible about this. Then like the dog knocked her over at one point. I'm like, oh my God. I just felt like I was like failing as a mom or I'm like, I've done too much today. I didn't get to just like, fully give her all the attention that she needed. And it's just like those days when you really just try to do it all. And you're like, did I do anything well today? I have no idea. But I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's well intentioned. Obviously, I'm trying to do the best that I can with everything. But then yeah, I mean, it's also just taking the time I literally like, as I finished my last thing, I was like, I am clearing my schedule for a minute. I am not taking on anything else new for a second because I need to slow down. There's too much happening. Um, have you ever had a day like that? Or like, give me a little mom talk here. I've had plenty of days like that, especially if it's a cook day. That's, I feel like that's the most stressful day for me. It's because I'm like, okay, I have to get up early. All right. I have to take, make sure AJ gets to school on time. I have to make sure her hair is done in the morning. She likes the lollygag. So like, that's an issue. I mean, I guess it's, it all starts with like 6am his alarm goes off. Now, usually my alarm goes off too, but if it's a school day, I'm like, no, I'm getting that extra sleep. But his alarm is just so loud. Like it's just the most annoying sound in the world. That is I'm like, John hey. too. It makes me like irate. Makes me yeah, livid. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it scares me half to death. Every time I wake up, I'm like, oh, Jesus, like the like apocalypse is starting or something. Like, oh my God. Oh it's my God. I like Gabriel's horn. Oh my dude. <laughs> Like this, it wasn't this bad in the military. I can, I can do that all day now. I'm like, compared to this. <laughs> so, oh my God. John's is like this jingle. It's not even that it's loud. It just like goes off and then he snoozes and then it goes off. And I'm like, shut off your alarm. 10 snoozes later. Oh my God. Finally gets up and he's like, I don't want to do this. I'm like, oh, I, I don't want to be up right now. These guys. Yeah, that, that that pretty much starts my day. And then after AJ goes like to school, like it gets a little bit easier until I get to the dogs. And we just got a new dog. So we just got Sophia. Sophie, they're too hyped for me in the morning. I'm not necessarily a morning person. I need to get my tea. I need to do something because, you know, I'm like intermediate fasting. So I, I can't eat until 12. And I'm like, Jesus take the wheel type stuff. But um, it's always like somebody wants something type of thing. And it's always on cook days where Asia's like, I need lunch money. I forgot to bring lunch money. So I have to go back to the school and do that. And of course I want some time to myself after I work out and <laughs> which is like 30 minutes. Cause then by that time I got to go get her from school. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, let's have a little moment with you. Okay. Okay. All right. We're breathing. All right. Now Cedric wants attention. Okay. Now Cedric wants attention. Okay. This is great. You've slept 
the rest, all the rest of the day after your workout and your rehab. So, okay. <laughs> now you get attention. All right. It's, it's damn near seven o'clock. I got to start dinner. The dinner takes two hours, no matter what I'm cooking. It takes two hours. I don't care what those Pinterest girls say on <laughs> 30 minutes or less is a lie. You got to get an air fryer. Do you have I, an I air fryer? I do have an air fryer, but I'm like, I'm so old school. I'm like, look, these, these things that I eat, I, I require an oven. I just can't be frying things all willy nilly. So I normally am totally on board with you with that. We're like, I want to be in there. I want to enjoy cooking. I want to like give the food the proper love and attention that it so deserves. But when I'm in a pinch, I'm like those chicken, I'll, I buy like just like the thin little like ch- cut up chicken breasts, season them up in the air fryer, 10, 12 minutes, you're done. And on a busy day like that, I'll take it. I've got the cookbook and uh, I can really get some shit done in the kitchen, but I can also really cut some fucking corners if I need to. I, I'm, I'm big on cutting corners. I'm big on getting like a croissant or a puff pastry. I'm like, I'm not making this from scratch. I'm just, you know, hmm, eliminate oh, the steps. No, I'm like, I'm not doing this. Yeah, I actually made some muffins today that just as like a thing that I was like, let me do a thing with Nora in the kitchen so she can like watch me doing a thing, whatever. And they they taste good, but they um, they did not look Pinteresty to say the least. Baking baking's a real bitch, you know. I made some some strawberry pop tarts because I just refuse to eat the regular pop tarts. I know it's bad for my stomach and my lining. I'm like, I'm not doing it. So I'm like looking forward to those after this conversation. I'm going to tear them up. These are homemade pop tarts? Homemade pop tarts. I've been dying to do that. That has been on like my list as I'm like venturing out, kind of spreading my wings a little bit in the baking world. That's on my list of things to do because they look delicious. Obviously better than just like a packaged pop tart. It'd say no shade, but maybe there is a little bit of shade in there. They're thicker, it's better, and it's, you know, it's vegan. Are you vegan? No, no, but for my body, I choose to like to lean that way. So I don't, you know, do any cow products or anything like that. You know, I'd stay away from dairy. And I try to limit like my meat intake. Like if I do decide to eat it, I'm like, okay. But then halfway through, I'm like, I don't want this. (laughs) So it has to be very small portions of meat. You know, but seafood, I can, I can eat all day. When did you get diagnosed with Crohn's? April 3rd, 2008. It's my second birthday. Oh, oh, geez. Your second birthday? Yeah, my second birthday. So my parents call it. So I, I remember like it was yesterday. I was just going to see my doctor and I remember going to use the bathroom and nothing but blood came out of my, my orifices. The smart thing to do was to go home. And that's what I did. Instead of going back into the doctor's office, I was like, I just got to lay down. Like I was delirious and delusional. It was, it was past the point where I wasn't thinking clearly at all. So my friend, Sarah, took me back home and my dad looked at me and he's like, you look like death. So my mom was like, all right, I'll give you a choice. You can stay here and take a nap or I could take you to the hospital. And the choice, I was really voluntold. They should go. So I ended up in the back of my mom's car. I flatlined on the way to the hospital. So that's why it's my second birthday. So when I, when I walked back up, I remember being in the hospital. Uh, I remember them getting out me out of the wheelchair. And they were like, okay, so your daughter's intestines are eating each other. So my small intestines were swallowing my large intestines. And he was like, in 30 minutes or less, it's like, it, it's going to burst. Your daughter will become septic. And there's nothing we can do. She's going to die right here. Holy shit. What a betrayal of your body. A complete betrayal. And this is right before my 19th birthday. 
they put me to sleep. I wake up and there's tubes everywhere. There's tubes coming out of my nose. There's tubes coming out of my lady. Doctor came in and he said, oh, we will remove about a foot and a half of your intestines. Uh, you have Crohn's disease. And my sister was there and she was a nurse and she's a nurse. And she said, that's usually only in babies. So usually, yes, but it seems as though your body was laying dormant. Your Crohn's was laying dormant for the past 18 years. As I'm like shoveling down McDonald's and beef and all that other stuff that's just apparently bad. And it was like a big earth shattering kaboom <laughs> at, the, at the end. So they ended up taking out a foot and a half. And um, I ended up becoming like getting C. diff, like abscesses all throughout like one day. This is like one day. They were like, oh, now you have C. diff. So nobody could come and see me without like full hazmat. Wait, so what is C. diff? It's like a viral infection almost. It's like bad the worst bacteria you can ever have, like E. coli on steroids, when they find out it's so contagious that anybody who even like breathes in the air will automatically get it. And it could tarnish your whole like GI tract. And then the cherry on top was that the catheter made me swell up. And then I found out I was allergic to latex. And then that's when my mom knew that I was still a good girl. Because <laughs> that would have been the most horrifying experience of my life, probably, to have that happen. <laughs> oh, my God. That's horrifying. Right. Yeah. My mom was like, it's like a baseball. <laughs> like, she was like, there's something wrong down there, mom. Like, she's like, oh, Holy my God. crap. It, yeah, it was the most wow. interesting day of my life. <laughs> I have like a very minor latex allergy, which is on the only way I know about it is from eyelash glue that it would like fuck up my eyelids. But like I couldn't imagine that happening to my vagine. OK, so what happens after the C. diff? Like how did they what like what they do to fix you? A lot of antibiotics. Um, they pretty much had to put me on TPN because I wasn't taking uh, food well. So I had to have a pick line in my arm straight to my heart because the IVs were all blowing out. Like the one in my neck swelled up to like a, another base. Like it was like a grapefruit actually. Just more from the latex? Well, no, this was just because my body was rejecting every needle. So they had to put me on TPN and I had to be fed that way for about two weeks. And then uh, it was just a lot of antibiotics, a lot of gastroenterologists coming in and like, okay, you're on this now, you're on this now. Uh, I was taking about 15 to 17 pills a day. Uh, just to combat the Crohn's disease because it was just, the level was so high. What exactly is Crohn's disease? I mean, I hear about it. I have like an idea of what it is and what it does to your body, but what is like the actual like diagnosis of Crohn's? What does that mean? The Crohn's cell, in a sense, the bacteria kind of mimics the uh, red blood cells in a sense. So my white blood cells end up killing everything. So okay. I have to constantly replenish. Also, it causes almost like a, decay of your GI tract. So it can ruin the lining of your intestines. It causes you to not be able to digest food properly, like different types of food. Like you have to cancel out a lot of different things because it's just caused your intestines and your whole GI tract to become almost soft. It causes deterioration of your whole GI tract. This makes your joints swell. I found out that was another symptom of it is that every joint in your body can just swell up at any moment, at any time. How does that affect you as a wrestler? I know you've taken time off before due to dealing uh, with Crohn's, but I mean, on like a day-to-day -day, uh, basis for you, I mean, when you're on the road, you're traveling, you're taking bumps, all of those things, how does that affect you? Uh, it causes damage to, to my body. Obviously, I love it because I continue to keep doing it because I won't take no for an answer. 
but all the bumps are not good for the body. It's a lot like the traveling and especially on like hard planes. That's why I carry like a, a pillow with me just to make it a little bit more comfortable for myself. It's rough. Like, especially when you're not at home and you don't have the certain foods that are around that you like to eat, or you know, that are tolerant to your body. Like it gets a little difficult, but uh, with proper planning, like I do a, a lot of planning beforehand and making sure I got all like my products and my medicine and stuff like that, just to uh, kind of like if any flare ups come up, I'm just prepared. Damn kudos to you that you were just like, F it. I'm still doing my thing. I'm not being derailed. Keeping going. I guess taking no for an answer is like part of my, my thing. My dad says that uh, we're a part of the Balanta tribe and they're the people that resist in a sense, they have always been resistful. So they, uh, the colonization did not happen anywhere near near them. They just like up and left. They up and leave. Every time, like, ah, I'm not doing this. I'm fighting. And then they're like, all right, now I'm gone. I've wrecked shit and I'm out. <laughs> out of here. <laughs> this right. is not serving me anymore. Thank you so much. Exactly. Like, I'm gone. So like when the doctor's telling me, oh, you'll never be in sports again. Uh, because I had to, of course, learn how to walk over again for the second time in my life after that first surgery. When did you have to learn how to rewalk the first time? I was in ninth grade and I was a goalie. And this girl didn't like the fact that I was just like blocking all of her shots or whatever. And she came into pretty much my, my goalie post. And I remember I got up, I caught the ball and I kneed her in the face, like right in the chin, just. And she had it out for me the rest of the game and ended up pushing me into the goalpost. So she, when she pushed me in the goalpost, I wrapped around it and my foot got caught in the net. So I was hanging upside down. The next morning, I woke up paralyzed from the neck down. What did you hit? Like, what happened? I can't remember exactly what part the doctor said that I hit, but they were saying that it was a hard enough impact. And of course, I sat down for like a, a couple of minutes and I was right back in the game because I felt fine. Because I kept going, the doctor said that it something, I guess, must have, something happened. Either way, like, I just couldn't, I couldn't move. And it was about a week that I was just stuck. And I was bedridden. And the doctor was like, if this happens again, it will be permanent. You cannot play soccer ever again. And it just, like, broke my heart. So you said, okay, I'm going to go be a professional wrestler. How did you come to that conclusion? Okay, so like, what kind of conversations were you having with your family? Were you having with yourself to like, to want to pursue this other avenue, given the things that you've been through? Well, first I had a conversation with Cedric because it was something that I, I wanted to do when I was little. And it was on my list of things to do. Because like I said, my mom said I could be anything. So I wrote a list. <laughs> and the last thing on the list was wrestler. And um, at the time I was dating, you know, my now husband Cedric. So I was like, I want to do this. And he kind of grilled me. And I was just like, he's like, look, if you're going to do this, you're going to be a wrestler, not a female wrestler, but just a wrestler. Like, I'm going to hit you the exact same, you know, these bumps and these boards don't care if you're female or male, like they're going to hurt regardless. My parents was a harder sell. Definitely. My mom's just seen everything that I've gone through. So she just still cannot fathom like why I'm still doing it. She thinks it's just She's like, no, this is just not for you. She's like, I know you're defiant to the end. She's like, but <laughs> she's still like, oh, I support you. But it's also like, I want you to take care of yourself first and foremost. 
Thanks so much for hanging out with us, guys. Uh, hopefully, you enjoyed the week. Enjoyed the best of the sessions. You guys can hear the full length interviews um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just uh, download them, give them a listen, give them a like, a review. And if you want to see what you're hearing, head on over to my YouTube page. Just search Renee Paquette. It's all up there, and you can see us talking. Having this interview, having a hangout, it's all up on there. Um, And that's been like a really great, cool, growing community. So uh, I'm really enjoying the hangouts on the YouTube as well. So we can see you guys over there. And jump in the comment section, you know. Jump in, chime in, leave a comment. Uh, We like filtering through them all, reading about them. Maybe even like, I don't know, some constructive criticism if you had it. We're all ears. God, did I open up a can of worms by saying that? I don't know. Be nice. Be cool in there. This has been The Sessions.